You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Is there any fashion statement in climbing more controversial than shorts? Yes, dear listener, I mean short pants, knickers, if you will. Too short, too long, too much booty, too little leg, too baggy, and just too darn tight. Well, guten tag, Wolfgang. Is that a number two Camelot in your pocket, or are you just glad to see me? But in the end, when you do find a pair of shorts you love, it's like a dream pie filled with real dreams. And of course, Black Diamond is here to help you find your dream shorts. From the lightweight flat iron to the bomb-proof valley shorts, Black Diamond has men and women's shorts for under the harness or a breezy, bouldering sesh. The new dirtbag short even comes in a retro corduroy option, so you can look just like you rolled out of a hazy VW bus in Camp 4 circa 1977. So let's think about replacing those thin, blown-out, ratty standbys with some new forever shorts from BlackDiamondEquipment.com or your favorite local shop. Because frankly, we can see your butt right now. Well, howdy, partners. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm a Yeti Yonder water bottle, and I hold the very key to life right here in my belly. That's right, water. Hydration. Why, without my tasty preference, you'd have popped your clogs long ago, buckaroo. Now you might say, well, big deal. I got my own skanky big mouth scuzz bucket water bottle clipped to my pack right here, with a locking carabiner, of course. And I'd ask you one simple question. How many holes? That's right. How many holes does your water bottle have? You see, most water bottles either got one big hole that makes the water dribble down your chin when your buddy gleefully taps the brakes while you're swilling, or one small hole that makes it nearly impossible to dump in your electrolyte protein drinkable veggies or whatever other snake oil you think might make you climb harder. That's right. I'm a Yeti Yonder water bottle. I'm lightweight, made from 50% recycled BPA-free plastic, and here's the kicker. I got two holes. One for filling, one for drinking. You might be thinking, yo, yonder, how's that even possible? Well, check me out at yeti.com or your favorite local outdoor retailer and see the magic for yourself. All right, I got to giddy up. Be well, drink well, and stay wet with a yonder water bottle from Yeti. Listen, uh, uh, where are playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, you really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show.
Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is July 1st, 2023, about 3.30 in the afternoon, and this is episode 256, no, 266 of the Enormacast, a conversation with former back alley BMX rider, current rigger and stagehand, and of course, climber, Eric Hingerty. And this is sort of the second in a row of everyday climber dudes. And both Drew and Eric are the kind of climbers loving it from the inside out, not getting too hung up on grades, pushing themselves, but, you know, looking to have a good time, meet people, enjoy the community. People often ask me for sort of the every person interview, you know, when I'm banging out the superstars like the Steve Houses and whoever else. So here you go. There is a bit of an angle here. I do love these sort of culture comparison ones. Um, about this time last year, I talked to Dustin Bowen, who was a bull rider and had a lot to say about the comparisons of the sort of dirtbag bull riding scene and the climbing scene. Fair amount of people enjoyed that one. And uh, so here we are back again. Eric got in touch with me because he's a stagehand and he saw a lot of parallels in his climbing, what he's doing with rigging and being at these festivals, rigging stages. He also thinks it's maybe like a kind of a good angle for a climber that's looking for work that takes him, her, or they all over the country. And I think all of us climbing podcasters, you know, we worry about having on big names so we can get listeners and people recognize them. But, you know, one thing I've learned in 12, 13 years of whatever is going on with this thing is that you guys will show up, dip in and check out some of the people you don't even know, never heard of them. And I'm pretty sure you've never heard of Eric Hingerty. So I appreciate that. Dip in, check it out. I can count on you guys, right? Also, you may have noticed that uh, there's a new sponsor here at the podcast, the Enormacast. Yeti is on board, sort of a climbing adjacent brand as opposed to BD or Sportiva. And, uh, you know, nobody has car camp and dialed like us climbers, though. It's kind of like I think people outside looking in think we're all up there in the mountains on baby ledges or you know, deep in the woods on these cliffs and stuff. And the fact is, is we're car campers by and large. Like, we have to admit it. Um, yeah, so Yeti fits right in there. Coolers, lots of stuff for camping, being on the road. And um, hopefully they'll stick around. Um, I told them what I do, and I said it might get a little weird. And uh, they didn't seem to bat an eyelash, but, you know, they're going to hear that first commercial. Hopefully you stuck around for it. I think most of you guys do. And uh, maybe to have second thoughts. Whatever do you mean, Chris? Did I say hole too many times? Two holes is what makes me special. All right, that's enough. They didn't pay for two spots. I don't even know what that guy is. It's like uh, I watch these instructional banjo and mandolin videos. And uh, when you hit some, some cat from like deep in South Carolina or something, a little bit of aristocracy sort of sound to his twang. I don't know. That's what I was kind of going. They're they're always really soft-spoken about their banjos. He's supposed to be playing a banjo. Did you get that part? Anyway, it was just because it's yonder, the word yonder, right? There you go. A little little peek into the creative process. Anyhow, welcome aboard, Yeti. Hopefully you stick around. (laughs) And you guys, if you uh, buy something online or whatever, send a little note with it that you heard about it on here. That's how we keep all of these podcasts, every single one of them, from day one, open and free, is if you support the sponsors. All right, Eric. Eric swung through town on the way back from 
some EDM festival in Vegas, and we did this one on my deck. You hear my neighbor's lovely dog barking once in a while, but it's pretty good sound. Probably won't be distracting. Yeah, and it was nice to connect with someone who's a relatively new and inexperienced climber, and I say that only in reference to myself because Eric knows what he's doing. Yeah, but it's nice to hear that perspective, that fresh sight perspective. No crust, no jadedness, just total stoke. From Eric Alleycat Hingerty. Imagine a time before the Sportiva TC Pro, before the solution, even, dare I say, before the Mira. It was a libidinous time of skin-tight lycra in the shortest shorts ever conceived. Meanwhile, Sportiva was already at the height of their powers even then. Imagine, if you will, Ron Kauk flexing in his blue and fuchsia megas, Francois Legrand floating in his ridiculously tight kendos, and Heinz Mariocker, um, Mariockering in his Mariockers. But focus now. Steep climbing was being invented and Sportiva was there at the front, pushing standards and fashion to the moon. Now, Sportiva is celebrating those heady years with a revival of their Climbing to the Moon logo and a special limited edition TX4 approach shoe in the fantastic colors that define an era. The TX4 remains legendary for both its ruggedness and its climbing power. And now, Sportiva is building the TX4 on a resolvable platform to get even more life from your favorite approach shoe. So check out all of Sportiva's decades of innovation at Sportiva.com or your local shop and step to the moon in a pair of better-than-ever retro TX4s. So if you went to school for audiovisual? Yeah, I went to Radford University. It was uh-huh. kind of like um, it was kind of like the party school for yeah. Virginia. Did they call it the Rad U? I, I probably did. <laughs> um, but if they didn't, then they need to make those t-shirts immediately. <laughs> yeah, it was like really focused on like local news though, but you could kind of take it where you wanted, mm-hmm. you know, and all of my stuff was like BMX related because that's what I was doing at the time. Yeah, it was um, kind of behind the times. It was almost like I was learning to do stuff from the past. So right. when I like moved on into the future, I was a little left behind, but um just that industry you have to keep up with on your own a lot anyway so once you learn kind of the basics you can apply that to everything new and i think think college is basically always like that yeah always behind the time yeah it's like i mean especially with tech i mean certainly like you know if you have a liberal arts degree like i do it's like the literature is the literature but but yeah with the tech stuff i mean it seems like by the time they've caught up that whatever industry is, is long moved on. So, I mean, it's just looking for like a basic education that'll give you a platform to improve upon and, and to be able to, you know, to sit in that sphere and learn later on. Yeah. It actually took me about eight years uh, after college to even get my first part-time job in that field. I was working at good morning San Diego for a little while. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it was just such a struggle because it was like part-time minimum wage. But like I knew that industry was like thriving somehow, but I never knew how to get my feet in the door, you know. <laughs> right. Tell me about the BMX background. Um, That would happen when I was like 13 or 14. I started watching the movie Rad. I saw Matt Hoffman win the X Games with a broken foot. 
And I just thought that was like the most badass thing in the world. So I would just go out with these bikes and it was like a brand new industry. So all the bikes were breaking and stuff. And I just kind of helped. Like I was just one of the main people out there just pushing the limits. And I never really got pro, but every time I would like get close to it or the magazines would come take pictures or whatever, I would start getting hurt. I'd like tear a lot of tendons, break a lot of bones and stuff. Like I ended up starting my own BMX company and just, you know, bringing my friends all around the country and we just dirtbagged it around trying to sell t-shirts and stuff. So Uh like later in life when I saw climbing, it just so appealed to me. I was like, this is the same thing I've been doing because BMX, I think, has two different sides to it. There's like the contest side where everything's like trying to win money and stuff and you've got like your main pros and that's cool and all but there was like such an underground aspect to bmx like ride bmx magazine was just driving around finding people that were out there doing stuff and uh, it was like the same with like thrasher magazine i couldn't skateboard for nothing so but it was just like that style of like underground kind of like this was a sport but a lifestyle kind of thing and it all relied on the people from within kind of creating it you know and um the sponsors and the the contests and stuff they would like try to like capture it but they often failed miserably and the community inside was just like laughing at it but letting it happen because you know if huffy wants to try to sponsor some bmx riders let them you know sure if uh you know toyota wants to sponsor this contest like let them in some ways so there was a little bit of a split in the community there's some like they're super hardcore no sponsors and there were some that were like all about the sponsorships and stuff so like you see mostly just the contest side of things now Mm -hmm. i feel like the uh, underground aspect has kind of like kind of died off with like the loss of a lot of the magazines and stuff like Mm -hmm. it like it hasn't really died off but the coverage of it has died off yeah but is the has like social media changed any of that i mean i guess democratization of media that's been allowed by that for good and bad Um, yeah you know then all of a sudden i mean that you know climbing was the same way like the conduit to to fame if you will or or that kind of success was basically like three magazines yeah like 30 years yeah they were the gatekeepers in in a you know close to literal sense that if they decided that your climb or your personality or your thing was worth talking about then that was like making it quote unquote and if they didn't you know there was really nowhere else to do it but the social media has allowed i think you know people that have these whole careers that have no connection to any sort of editorial gatekeeping um and it reminds me a little bit i mean bmx has to have fallen into that whole skating thing of of zines and things like that where it was all self-produced media um you know yeah well see that's the thing i'm like so kind of stoked about with ride bmx magazine but Uh also like the story of it's kind of sad to the ending of it um because it started with this guy i think his name is Brad McDonald mm-hmm. and he would just um, make it out of his uh, studio apartment mm-hmm. in LA and he was just like so dedicated to it and he he did it all on his own and had some friends or whatever working and it all came from within and then over the years you saw it like get more and more corporate I mean it took 20 years before like I think Transworld bought it out and then after Transworld bought it out another company 
then owned the National Enquirer, right. bought out all the trans worlds, like surfing, right. skateboarding, BMX, everything, and they shut them all down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds like, a, 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 how long ago was this? Like, yeah. uh, When they got all yeah. shut down was about five to ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, and so it's like the climbing, I mean, literally, that's the story of the same Rock story. and Ice and, and yeah. Climbing Magazine. Like, exactly. You know, there's some some version of them online i'm sure yeah and, yeah. Uh, yeah but it's funny because it's like that just happened it was just a precursor to you know what happened in the climbing industry essentially yeah and one day i, I mean like really soon actually i hope to try to bring back print media in some form you know mm-hmm. um i want to include all sorts of these things like um but i want to give a place for people to have pictures and stuff right that's i'm gonna go home after this and start alley cats adventure club is kind of what i'm doing with it (laughs) (laughs) that's cool we can uh we can point people to that um but yeah i mean it's an interesting angle because i always talk about you know when you talk about climbing and and why it's different than than sports and and you know we talk talk about it being a lifestyle yeah i'm always thinking in turn i mean i always compare it to surfing but then yeah skating fits in there and then you know i had never really considered bmx as part of that but it's interesting to talk to you about this like it, it is i mean obviously it's it's very similar in its pursuit of you know purity and and versus yeah. sponsors and versus money and lifestyle and like who's the goat that's kept it real and all those sorts of things i mean yeah, these are exactly. all these like things that i think surfing went through honestly a couple decades ago already yeah um, yeah and 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 i think we're having this moment in climbing where we're where we are actually kind of like feeling the growing pains of it yeah and there is some level of rejection of what was i think sold to us and is always sold to everybody as like this great thing like expand climbing and there'll be more opportunities and you know there'll be more voices and so then the government can't push us around as much and and it, you know that promise has its benefits, but then we're we're now reaping or beginning to sort of reap the negative parts of yeah like a lot of backfire. a constant promotion of this sport that has a limited resource to it. Well, I'm part of that actually. It was about four or five years ago that climbing blew up. And right, I you know I I told you I just listened to the signs of the universe, and a lot of times it's maybe just the radio or what everybody's talking about at the same time, and just synchronicities. And it was about five years ago, I think, my dad showed me the Dawn Wall. And, like, he he always shows me movies, and nine out of ten are, like, a total miss. Like, I would never watch that. Like, why are you, <laughs> why are you even? But this one, I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, and this brought me back to my childhood. Not, like, when I was a young teenager, my uncle, like, took me out to Yosemite. And there was another movie I saw. It was a Valley Uprising. Mm-hmm. Amazing film. And it just like, I was like, I love Yosemite. I was there when I was a kid a lot. Like, uh, my uncle took me on this crazy hike. We were just stuck out there for days and uh, went to the top of Half Dome, just hiking, you know, on the cables route. And then, like, I think we went the longest way possible. We went from Glacier Point um, down through the right side. I think you have to cross over the top of this, like, waterfall area. And um, we had lunch right there, and there was, like, this bear that came down. I guess I was, like, 14. I'm, like, blown away. This bear's chasing us for lunch. We'd give, it, we'd give him our lunch, and then we'd take some pictures. And then we hike around to Little Yosemite, 
and they had like some tent cabins there or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, we stayed there. I think there was like a lottery or something. My uncle's was always so lucky to get those things. We stayed there, and then the next day we went up to the top of Half Dome. I was like terrified of heights, uh, like totally just gripped to the point of like, why am I even doing this? But for some reason, I just went to the top. I stood on like that little corner piece as close as I could to the edge. I think that really helped me kind of a little bit, but that fear still stayed with me for years. You know, like as a BMXer, you only go maybe. 10 or 15 feet in the air sometimes like 20 feet off of like a big ramp but even still like that's rare so yeah so that was just a cool moment like experiencing Yosemite and um and then when I saw those movies I was just like that's my new passion because after 25 years of riding BMX or 20 years or whatever it was I was kind of like over all the injuries I wasn't really pushing my limits anymore And I needed like a new passion and I felt like I poured my whole passion into climbing. And I, it was, it wasn't long that I realized that I wasn't the only one doing that at the Mm -hmm. time. I mean, Mm -hmm. all these people, like everybody's like, oh, you have to see free solo. Right. I'm like, okay, (laughs) cool. And, um, like all these people that I would have never expected to be into climbing were now telling me these things. I don't really know. Like I found, I found it in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, there was like this little rock quarry. And I think they brought it for like the kids at like the, I think it's called the passages camp or something like that. It's just like a kid's camp. But for me, I was like, Oh cool. There's bolts on the wall. I think they're left over from the nineties and stuff uh-huh. when people, when people would just start climbing there. So there's the old routes that were kind of like, I don't know, five, six, five, seven, I guess. And they were just really fun to learn to top rope. And then we had the Manchester wall, which is this old, um, bridge abutment, I guess. Um, it's made out of stones that were pulled out of that quarry in the 1800s. And so that, I think it was like a train bridge that was burned down in the Civil War or something, and then they rebuilt it, it burned down again. So we just have these pillars going all the way across the river, and we have a giant wall on one side, and there's bolts all the way on on all of it. So you can reach over and set up top ropes, and I just went out there and I learned how to do all this stuff on YouTube. <laughs> and to me, in my head, I was like, I know this is sketchy, but I want to climb with other people. And if I'm going to climb with other people, I want to make sure I'm testing these systems on myself first, you know? <laughs> and so then I started doing all that. And then I went to the gym and I met a lot of people. We had a really great climbing gym there. And uh, it like had, you know, good classes and just a great scene where everybody was talking with each other. I made a lot of really good lifelong friends there. But I started talking to people and none of them had been climbing outside. They'd been climbing for like a year or so. And none of them, I'm like, I've been climbing for a week. I can take you outside. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay. (laughs) So, like, we'd go out and we'd top rope and stuff and, like, eventually start to learn to lead some of these routes and stuff. And nothing over, like, 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, there was some 5'10s that we'd top rope and everything. It was a really cool wall to just just learn. You're basically climbing the mortar in between mm-hmm. these these stones. And, you're, and since it was, like, rough cut, like, from the 1800s, there's, like, just chunks to grab onto everywhere, good holds everywhere. And some, some of the routes are actually pretty bare and fun, so... You can put nuts in the wall and and climb it kind of on gear and stuff. And 
like we just learned all kinds of stuff out there so it was just a great way to learn but then a lot of the hardcore climbers from the gym were always like you got to go to the new river gorge you got to go to seneca rocks so um it was like my birthday that year and i hit up my friend who had been talking about trad climbing since like the 90s and stuff and I was like, all right, we're going to go trad climbing at Seneca Rocks. And he was like, well, I really haven't done it for a while. Maybe we should hire a guide. And probably the best idea ever. <laughs> and uh, so we go and we uh, hired Troy was his name. He's an awesome guy. And he took us up. He just took one look at us and was like, you guys are pretty strong. I think you can climb some actual routes here. So we went up what's called Lake Ormay and it transversed into Front Sea. Um, which is a five six, and it feels like you're climbing like um, the the wheel from uh, Price is Right almost. <laughs> like if that were to be stationary, right. like so it starts off kind of hard, and then like it gets easier and easier. But like at the top, I'm like, that's only five six. He's like, welcome to Seneca Rocks. This is old school grades. So then we go up what's called Critter Crack. My first uh, opportunity to crack climb and stuff, and I was just blown away by it. You know, just following her. I think I was in the middle of this. We did like a trio where he led. I was tied to the middle and I had to clip all the gear. So I'd at least get to see everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was just fantastic experience. Um, just learning how to trad climb. And I was just hooked ever since. Even though like I haven't really pushed into the harder grades yet. Um, mostly because I keep getting hurt. I had to have like another surgery right in the middle of climbing. I think I got distracted from the original thing that we were talking about, the surge of climbing at that time and yeah, how yeah, I became I mean, part of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. I want to actually, there's a whole bunch of things I wanted to comment on in there, but um, I, I also want to go back a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, this this sort of BMX analogy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when I talk to people on this thing that didn't grow up in like a mountain culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, found climbing. And, and it's, I mean, that's really like... I mean, maybe people get tired of me asking this, but it's it's like it's so essential to what I want to understand about people. But deeper in that with you is whether you got into BMX or if I talk to someone that gets into skating or they get into climbing, a lot of times it's because they were looking for something, right? And, yeah. And those things, I almost said sports, they're not sports, those things um, a lot of times offer a community. Like, yeah. Uh, I've talked to plenty of people who, who, you know, walked into a gym and that was the first thing they felt as a kid was like, Oh, this is a place I can belong and I can be me and I can, I can like shuffle off these pressures that I feel at school or whatever it happens to be. I mean, what, what was it that like you were looking for when you hit the, the BMX scene? And, and was it, was it that, was it this idea that there's this group that I can fit in with. I tend to make these like long-term decisions like right on the spot. You okay. Know? I tend to be like, I'm a BMXer. That's who I am now. Um, I think it was, honestly was the movie Rad. Right. Uh, it's based on this character, Crew Jones, who um, fights the corporate man and joins the contest or the race anyway, and he wins the race. <laughs> and he has to start his own uh, T-shirt company to do it. And he ends up getting like the major riders to join his company instead. It's just like super wholesome. It's hometown hero kind of thing, right. you know. And um, 
it was actually kind of a big deal in the 80s, you know, this movie. And I got like a VHS copy of it in the 90s. And I was like, that's me. And like, it was right when the X Games was coming mm-hmm. out. And if you look into how the X Games really got started, it was this guy, Matt Hoffman, who um, in the early 80s, all these contests like just died off immediately. Like one day or one year they were winning trucks. The next year they were winning T-shirts and fanny packs, you know. So um, they were like, this sport is dead. And Matt Hoffman was like, I'm not dead. So how can you tell me this is dead? Like, I'm still doing this. Like, right. I know a lot of people that are. And so he started doing these contests. He was they call, he called them the BS contest because he was just making, he was bicycle stunt, but he knew what it stood for. Um, <laughs> and so all these people were just coming around from all the country. And then he took it to ESPN and he was like, I've got an idea for this contest series and we're going to include skateboarding and rollerblading and we're going to do the X Games. And they liked it. And he made sure that he started the Hoffman Sports Association. So he had full control of the X Games or at least as much as possible throughout that whole thing. And they also joined on to the International Olympic Committee and helped get BMX as a sport into the Olympics. So I think um, it's almost a misnomer to not call them sports because... They're individual, almost non-competitive sports, right. you know, but you're competing with yourself. You're always trying to do better, and people are always stoked for you for um, what you can achieve. Nobody really cares that somebody else can do it better, because right. it's like, good for that person, you right. know, but for you, good for you. you yeah. Know? Like you did a 10 stair handrail. That's awesome. You know, who cares? Somebody can do 20 stairs, you know? Like right now we're celebrating your moment, you know? And I I like that in climbing because we're celebrating our own individual accomplishments, you know? Like my first five seven trad climb, I I celebrated, you know. I was like, give me a send beer, give me like we're chilling, like this is awesome. I'm not climbing for the rest of the day. But that actually took me uh it took me like three tries to get my first five seven, my made my first big five seven trad climb which also is a good story about my first whip on trad gear too. Uh, Cause me and my friend, when I first tried to send this route, it's called easily flaky at the new river gorge. And it's a beautiful route. You go up this like slabby little flake and then you go over to the right a little bit. And there's like a perfect little sl- horizontal slot and you can put your hands in there and you can get a perfect 0.75 and you go up a little bit to the, Left, you got to go up a few feet, and there's a perfect jug. But I reached in, and there was a pile of snow. And it wasn't supposed to be any precipitation, but for some reason, the air was just freezing that day. It was 14 the night before. I don't know why we were out there. I just My friend just had a lot of stoke. That's my friend, Adriel. He always gets me stoked on these these adventures, just like, let's do it. It's not going to rain. Let's go. <laughs> so I get my hand in the snow and I just like totally give out and take a big old whip on this 0.75. But it just like showed me like I can do this. I did not complete the climb that day. I tried to go back up and uh, there's this no hands traverse you go across and it's pretty easy because the feet are like good, but there was snow on them. I tried to like <laughs> brush it off and it turned to ice. And my friend who's like a 512 climber, he's like, 
oh, you're just being a bitch. I'll I'll go up and I'll finish it. And he gets up there and he's like, no, no, this is crazy. <laughs> We're going to have to wrap in from the top. And even like going up to the top, like the trail's usually like not that bad. There's like one part with a rope or whatever, but all of it was just frozen over and it was the sketchiest stuff. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I love getting into those adventures with Adriel. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, it's cool too, like you found, I'm sure it was kind of, you know a, a discovery like okay you're gonna climb and then all of a sudden you find these these walls right around richmond and then i think people who have no again like it's not a mountain culture you're not exposed to climbing the way you would be if you grew up in colorado there's no mountains and in so it's like richmond i, I always find it interesting because people then realize that there's what do you what do you mean there's climbing like and there's this place called the new river gorge which unbeknownst to you is one of the like great climbing areas of the world yeah you yeah. know and it's just i it's just funny because i think people like are like what now there's this place where now and like you get there and like your your eyes as a climber have are a totally different vision than had you gone there as a kid or whatever and you're like suddenly yeah. like oh my god this is like a climbing paradise a weekend trip from from richmond yeah yeah, yeah. and it's right there and it's always been there and you had like no concept of it no, but I think it's the same with BMX, right. how me and my friends, we would pack up the car and go to some obscure little town that had this amazing skate park. And like they, the locals didn't even know how amazing it was. They'd just be playing around in the bottom of this like half pipe or something. And right. We'd be like, get out of the way. We went, came <laughs> eight hours to ride here. <laughs> That's actually Carbondale. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Before you go, dude, you got to run over and see see this ridiculous skate park that we have here in this tiny little town oh yeah i've heard about the skate parks in colorado i mean yeah it's crazy like it is such an advanced feature that's over there it's just like a, a few blocks from where we're sitting and it's it's kind of bonkers to you'll see yeah, yeah it's yeah. a trip um, um some of the pro bmx riders i think troy mcmurray mm -hmm. uh, rides over there yeah sometimes. people come it's the same thing they yeah. show up and are like and they've had they've had like uh contests over there and stuff yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because Miles and I go over there and hang out and kind of goof around in it because almost nobody is ever riding it because it's, it's too advanced for, yeah. like, most of, like, your local Joe sort of skaters and, and BMXers. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, someone's actually in there riding it the way it's supposed to be ridden, not just goofing around in the bottom like we do. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny because it's really intimidating. Oh, I'd probably have a blast there, but... Yeah. It's just every time I start doing that, I'll start getting like really good again. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, you almost lost your foot doing this. Or, you know, you gave yourself a heart attack in a BMX crash. Like, stop doing this. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the injuries sounded n gnar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a really long list. Right. Um, <laughs> I think it has to do with a lot with nutrition because when I was in high school um, and like the first couple years of college, I was just not eating well. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about like tra strength training or anything. That's something that's extremely missing in BMX. And I, I'm really thankful to find it in climbing is, is training and nutrition and keeping your body healthy. Like in BMX, nobody cares, you know, they just go out and send it. And right. Don't even stretch half the time, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's this whole different mentality when somebody comes and they show up, start stretching. And, well, and I think it's probably, out. I would imagine, because, I mean, there's, you know, you were talking about how 
it sort of died in the 80s, at least as a competition thing. Um, I mean, it's certainly back and like Red Bull and, and, and companies like that have a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, and I, and when it, when it be, you know, when it becomes a, a bigger deal and there's a lot more money involved and things like that, I mean, that's when the, the these people turn into athletes and they, and they're like, okay, yeah, it was fun. Like, you know, just partying and raging and BMXing, but now I'm a professional and I'm going to like, you know, maybe take some time and, and some of these pros I'm sure have trainers and the whole thing. And climbing has been the same way of like, yeah, it's gradually grown to where it's been infused with, with this whole training thing. And, and it, but it's also a bit of a, of a, um, of a split in the community because it's like, there's those who, who train and there's those who kind of don't. And there's a little bit of a, you know, the, those who don't are like, ah, they're wasting their time and they've taken yeah. the fun out of it. And I'm, I have a foot in that world, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then there's the training people who are looking at these, these sort of other folks like, why aren't you, why are you wasting your time? And you, you know, you should do some hangboarding and you'd be better. And, you know, so now I would imagine, and I actually, I know that, you know, BMX surfing, skating are, there's, there's that split in there as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because, I mean, if you look at what people are doing off of big ramps, on their bikes now like it's bonkers like it's circusy yeah and it's but it takes i mean it's also i think an advancement in like athleticism in a lot of ways well it is and it's not because i mean in like the most amazing things have ever happened in the backwoods of like pennsylvania and stuff like that where it's like they just go out and build these giant jumps and we call them trails because there will be like 10 or 12 jumps in a row. Right. And they all get cons- consecutively bigger. And um, this one guy, Mike Aitken, he was like my absolute hero. He would do these crazy tricks just in the backwoods, not like for any any sponsors or contests. He was doing it for a video part. And that's like what we really, as a community, really loved is when we got these video parts from these riders. And he crashed so hard. I mean, he paralyzed half of his body, like like the left half of his body, I think, which, I mean, he ended up walking out of the hospital like six weeks later. But it was absolutely incredible. But, I mean, that to me was like feats of athleticism right. that is just absolutely incredible that you're not seeing that on live TV. Right. And even the ones that they're doing it for live TV, it's kind of, different it's changed for this like circus act or Mm -hmm. to be like a spectacle for the crowd or whatever it's not really for the riders themselves anymore um although it's some of it is but you know what i mean like i'd much rather see like a no-footed can-can or a 360 one-footed tabletop than whatever new trick our willie's doing you know and he was a scooter guy anyway so it's like <laughs> scooter guy trad climber sport climber you know whatever it's like yeah, there's it's always these the factions you know that's yeah so funny. yeah it's always but the same. you know the analogy like the bmx analogy goes a ways but it only goes so far and that's kind of the interesting thing about some of those other sports is that i i mean unfortunately and maybe you can correct me is it seems like a there's like there's definitely sort of an age limit in the sense of of hucking yourself because you being i think like wrecking yourself unfortunately seems to be almost like a part of it yeah and it's like a part of the mentality in it as well of like you know go bigger until you fucking wreck yourself and if you can do something rad right before that like 
Yeah, well, you that, know what I mean, and it's like, that was and, my and therefore, yeah, and, you, and you're you're an example of it. Like your body just can't take it yeah. anymore. And I, and the thing, like I said, the analogy falls apart is that climbing just isn't like that. That's why I came to climbing. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this would be safer. <laughs> if yeah, I totally. mess up, it's only one one crash. That's all I get. If right. I fall really bad and die, that's it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's sad to say, but it was like with BMX, you can like paralyze yourself. You can break bones to the point you wish you were dead. You know, like when mm-hmm. I tore my foot, I almost lost it. The pain was so severe. It took me a year to walk again. Right. And so that's always in the back of my head riding my bike. When I'm climbing, I'm like, it hurts, but I'm not going to tear it off again. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I mean, as long as you keep your shit together and like are, are, are on the, the safety program. And that's like, again, you know, thinking about the cultures and everything else, like yeah, I find it actually, if you, if you sort of take that kind of, you know, rip or die sort of mentality with climbing, I, I, I personally find, and they're out there, people are out there that are like that. I, it's, it's an, it's off-putting. Well, for me, it's just like, I'm going to do everything extra safe. Right. So like, I don't care if I sew up that crack, you know, like I don't have any pride with that. Yeah. You know, if I put a piece every two feet, so what? But if I can run it out, like, obviously I'm gonna, but. Well, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of like sort of ego in that, but, but by and large, nobody cares. Like no one, no one's going to be like, oh, well. He put eight pieces in, and I only put seven in. So, yeah, like that exists maybe in some very small-minded sort of people. But the thing is, is that with with again, like some of these other sports, like the whole like pushing it, pushing it, pushing it is really in the fabric of what you guys were doing. Like, I want to go higher next time because I I managed to pull that off. So now I'm going to like huck harder next Every time. single time. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like, and throughout the day, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I will ride my bike until I crash. Well, and the thing is, and, and I've used this with like kayaking and stuff too, is that pushing yourself in climbing, which we, which we do, it is part of our culture, right? To try harder. You were talking about like, oh, sometimes we try 510, even though, I, you know, we'd get beat up on it or whatever. It's, or you, you were talking about climbing with your friend who climbs 512. Like, yeah, he'd put me on those things anyway. Yeah. There's no extra danger in that unless, unless we're talking about like really specific trad climbing, you know, but generally speaking, and for the most part, whether you're top roping a 510 or a 513, it makes no difference in, yeah. the, in the amount of danger, the amount of risk or the consequences. And in fact, it's been noted on this show a bunch of times that taking a whipper on a 5.7 is way sketchier than taking one on a 513. Yeah. Because it's usually. usually like on your 5.6s and 7s, there's things to bounce off of. And Well, 5.6 yeah. I've learned is sketchy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do not fall on that because you're yeah. going to like clunk the ledge below you and then roll off that jug and then like bang your ankle into that other thing that's sticking out. And, yeah. You know, your 513C next door is completely clean and overhanging and you just fall into air. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting like... It, again, it's like the analogies only go so far because climbing has this whole aspect to it where you can push yourself physically and not necessarily have to take more risk. And yeah. I think that's what fits with sort of being a little bit older and still trying to climb hard, injured, <laughs> fucked up. Anyhow, but one of the one of the main reasons that you wanted to come on the show and, and um you know, that we started talking was was kind of that you you really wanted to talk about how you feel like you cracked 
the uh, partially cracked the dirtbag code. Um, yeah. With what you do for a living at at the current time. Yeah, um, I get to climb stages. I get yeah, to yeah. climb for work, and it's in one of the coolest environments in the world. Yeah. So uh, let's start talking about that, and we'll we'll kind of weave it all together here. Well, actually, it's also related to the mm-hmm. to my BMX life because all through my life, I've been kind of dirtbagging it. You know, yeah. trying to live on the fringe of society. Like I didn't want to get that real job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to somehow make it. Otherwise, I ended up going. Uh, I I did have a degree in production. I had one part-time job in television. And most of the time I was working in kitchens or making pizza, which, um, you know, doesn't really get you very far in life. I mean, it gets you a job anywhere you go, but it doesn't get you, it doesn't pay your bills very well. Right, right. And I even went to culinary school. It didn't increase my pay that well. So I lost another job and I was bitching about it. It was during the pandemic too. And it was like right after like restaurants were opening again. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sick of this restaurant thing. And then my, I had a Facebook only friend. Her name's Clutch. She hit me up. She's like, I got something for you. You should stage hand with me. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And um, I'd already spent a lot of the pandemic doing a lot of climbing with my friend anyway. So I was getting a lot better at um, just being around a lot of this stuff. But I still didn't know what I was getting into at the time. So Clutch gives me, like, the rundown. And at first, it's just stagehanding. So um, w- she's just telling me, like, all about industry standards, um, how you're going to get a break every two and a half hours. If you um, go to work and get sent home, you get paid for four hours minimum. Um, usually it's going to be 10-hour days. They're going to give you catering after five hours or else. If they don't after six, they're going to give you a meal penalty. Um, she started telling me how to interact with these people. Like, don't try to uh, take things out of a girl's hand, especially if it's just some little girl. Don't be like, oh, let me help you with that, sweetheart, because she's probably got it. You can ask, like, hey, do you need help? You got that or whatever. She's a stagehand, and her name is Clutch. Yeah. You don't you don't take shit out of her hand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and she was pointing out how the girl's got to work twice as hard in order for to get noticed and stuff. Right. So just let them work twice as hard, you know? And if they ask for help, help them, you know, but just treat them like everybody else. And, um, she was telling me how to lift things, how to carry heavy things, lift on three, all this stuff. Here, and, move your mic over just a little bit or get. Yeah. So yeah, clutch gives me like the rundown and everything. And, um, then all she did was give my number to some people. And then she went off to some other gigs, you know, she hadn't even been home in months. So she was just jumping in and out. I'm like, this lifestyle is awesome. This appeals to me. So uh, a couple weeks go by, I get a phone call. I show up to the gig and nobody even knows I'm there. So it's kind of like you have to do it on your own. I'm telling people, I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be here. I'm here to help break this down. I'm here for loadout. Finally get my wristband and meet the guys and everything. And we tear down the stage. And I'm like, okay, that was cool. I didn't really know what I had done. It was a um, walking festival, but I wasn't part of the festival. I just saw like one stage. I was like, okay, that was cool. Um, I think it was Tedeschi Trucks Band or something was the first gig. And then, so wait, wait, wait. So you just turned up, like you don't have a certification. No, 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 not not yet. Right. So just, you're just like I'm. I'm muscle. Yeah. Tell me what to do. I'll she says, things. show up with a hard hat, a sea wrench, a crescent wrench, uh, a hammer, which you're <laughs> gonna find out right away is the wrong hammer, right. and um, and yeah, steel toe boots. 
Cool. So hard hat, high vis, sea wrench, and a hammer and seal toes. So I showed up and I was ready to work and I didn't know what I was doing yet. <laughs> and so That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, a couple weeks later. Did you scuff your shit up a little bit? No, okay. I should have. <laughs> no, That's I, like a climber thing, too. Like, oh, that guy's got a whole brand new rack. Exactly. I don't know about him. <laughs> yeah, like, we, keep, get to, we keep see a all the clear of that cat. So <laughs> the next gig was the Blue Ridge Rock Festival. And I was like, okay, you know, it's in Virginia. It's probably some small rock and roll festival or whatever. And I get there. I'm like lost in the tobacco fields. The boss finally finds me. He's just like shaking his head, like, what? This guy, okay, we got a new guy. <laughs> and then, um, so we get in there, and uh, it was like a couple of days of like building the stages. They were like the pop ups, they're called stage lines. They come on the back of a truck and they just unfold into a stage. And, um, and then I think I was on barricades. So we just put the barricades up in front of the stage. I still had no idea what was going on. Show call comes around. There's like rock and roll going on everywhere. I see anthrax on stage. I'm like, holy crap, wait, where am I? And I finally started asking around. I'm like at the biggest rock and roll show in the country, um, at least on the East Coast. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, what's happening right now? How did I get in on this? They just needed labor. It was just mm -hmm. a labor company that was providing for the staging, for the stages. Um, so I found, I started to figure that out, but the labor company was just inviting people to the next gig. If I could make it, I did pretty well at this one. And actually, like, I got off work at, like, all the right times. I don't know, like, if the universe was looking out for me, but my first day off, I was like, I got to see Rise Against. I'm like, that's one of my favorite bands in college. That's awesome. And then, like, the next day, I got off right when Megadeth was playing. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> And so they invite us to Firefly Festival. I've never even heard of Firefly Festival, but it's this big festival in Delaware. So I'm like, cool, I'll go check that out. That was also another pretty big deal. Like I think uh, Billie Eilish was playing and um, Tyler, the creator, and I was like helping their lighting team and stuff. And um, all of it kind of felt familiar because I'd worked a little bit in the um, news station. So I knew how to coil cables. This is one of the most important things is learning how to coil cables. It's over under, not around the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because um, I've every band I've ever been in, I've I've spent the entire years of the band because I've also usually provided sound like, you know, you do your own sound when you're some local shitty band. And yeah. And like trying to train the rest of the people in the band to fucking coil cord. <laughs> it takes years for some people. You're just like, no, stop. Like, drop it. Put it down. Here, yeah. Let's try this again. You know, it's funny because and then also like there's such these indicators in climbing to, you know, actually you mentioned like come in and like if we were going to go climbing together, you're like, well, you better you know, it'd probably be good if you kind of got to know me and like what kind of belayer I was and stuff. And yeah, I'm a like, great no, belayer. I was you like, don't you know, know what? I, I, I'll know. You within a minute or yeah, two. Yeah, within a few minutes, I'm going to fucking around with my have, have an idea. <laughs> and it's, I'm sure within that industry, it's the same thing. Like, yeah. you can look at a guy across the stage and be like, oh no, we got a green one. Yeah, horn. exactly. <laughs> and you were that dude. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's funny that coiling cords, I guess it is probably like, when you see someone opening a carabiner with two hands, yeah, like they have to do it with two hands. You're like, okay, we're, Wait, hold, we're up. Yeah, hold up for a second. And the coiling of the cords is funny because it's such 
like this. In, I mean, every in, like painting has them too, you know. Yeah. Like as soon as you see somebody do something like totally backwards, there's there's one or two things you're like, okay, we're dealing. If, if yeah. all you can do is coil a cable. Yeah. All the techs will love you, and nice. they will put you in charge of everything. Yeah, They'll so like, YouTube that before you show up the <laughs> yeah, first day. Exactly. <laughs> and then, um, and then I started doing all these cool festivals, and people started talking to me about the riggers. I started noticing that people were in the air above us doing cool stuff. I had no idea what they were doing, but I knew that they had ropes and cool harnesses. They like these are five point harnesses. Yeah, They're sure. not like the rock climbing harness. And you're not supposed to take a fall on these harnesses. So I'm in my head I'm like, why am I paying four hundred dollars for a harness I can't even fall on? <laughs> I could just use my rock climbing harness. But um no, but that's because they have those giant screamers, and you have to replace those things. Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to get a. Uh, I got a V lanyard. I thought that was actually way more important because the Y lanyards are a little sketchier. Right. But a V lanyard, you can only you could be hooked into only one piece, and mm. it's fine. Like if you were to fall, it's just gonna blow out separate, and you don't have to worry about breaking your back or anything. So it feels a lot like trad climbing, like really easy routes. But yeah, so the way I really got into it, though, is because we had gone to Austin for Austin City Limits, and I kind of got some crappy hours, and uh, the boss I was working under, I don't know, he didn't like me or he didn't know me that well yet. He didn't know I was, like, for real about that industry. And so um, I was like, hey, I haven't heard about Vegas yet because we're supposed to be going to Vegas. And his exact words were, fuck off about Vegas. And I was, like, in tears. I, like, almost went under the stage and, like, started almost crying to my coworkers. And they were like, don't worry about him. You should go anyway. And I'm like, are you serious? I can just do that? And they were like, yeah, you can do that. So after the gig ended, I immediately got in my car and I just drove from Austin to Vegas. I was the first person there. I showed up and I was like, I'm not on your list, but I'm supposed to be on your list. And they were like, really? <laughs> Come back tomorrow. We'll, I'll talk to your guy. I get there the next day and he's like, I got you. But I watch him turn away like 50 stagehands because everybody wants to work EDC Vegas. I mean, it's a really sick gig. But I walked it up and I was like, I want to be a rigger. And I heard you can get all your stuff here. And he was like, Come back tomorrow at 5 a.m. We'll suit you up. And I went in and he put me up as a rigger every single day. And I learned how to. I mean, I'm still like terrified of uh, heights at this point. I'm like getting getting sent up in the boom lift. We're working with the crane like almost immediately. Um, I'm putting lights up and stuff on the load in, but on the loadout was like insane. We were like um, doing timber hitches and clove hitches and stuff. Bowling is like one of the most important knots in that industry. We almost never use it in rock climbing, but for stage handing, that's all they use. Bowling and clove hitch. And for some reason, they call a girth hitch a choke. That took me a second. They're like, choke that off. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So once I learned that they meant a girth hitch, so now I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, the slings that they use are big industrial slings with um, galvanized aircraft cable in it. So um, you're using those, and you have to learn how to work with the shackles and stuff. But it's pretty cool. You get to use a protraction sometimes. It's like hauling techniques and stuff. I don't know. There's similarities to rock climbing, and there's a lot of differences, of course. Right. Well, I mean, it's really kind of a famously climby line of work. You yeah. You know, from, like, 
a lot of those Yosemite guys were brought on to do Hollywood stuff, um, which is a whole different thing, but a, a, a lot, lot of the same same ideas, doing yeah. rigging for Hollywood movies. And, and it was kind of the same thing where I think, or, or a similar thing where, you know, somebody in the industry was a climber like um, Dave Schultz, uh, you know, it's, it's continued to have a really deep career in rigging for films or this guy, Perry Beckham out of Squamish and, you know, would do the same thing, like basically hook their climber bros up and be like, yeah, show up. We'll find a way to use you. You'll learn if you like it, you can, you know, expand your, your skills and get your certifications and do all the things. Yeah. Um, but basically like show up cause I can trust you to at least know your way around ropes and heights and hauling systems and things like that and it's always been a conduit there and then vegas too has been a famously like a lot of climbers um because there's always work in in the various casinos for the shows and all those sorts of things so yeah um but it sounds like you kind of went in a back door as opposed to like going straight to like heavy certifications and things like that so where where does your sort of level exist now i mean how long ago was this this you know moment in vegas where you just like basically like pushed the door open and walked in whether they liked it or not. <laughs> yeah, that was about two and a half years ago. Okay. It actually took me a lot to learn how to rig, but I I was going to every local show I could. I was um, taking rigging classes with their companies. I was just getting to know people. It's really just a who you know. And I realized that rigging is an industry that you just have to own it. You have to just show up and say, I'm a rigger. And then when the work comes, you just have to know how to do it. And you can ask around, you can learn kind of on the spot, but you have to own it the whole time. Yeah, it was just kind of like that mentality that kind of really helped me get into it. So I've got the certifications for the boom lift and everything. I'm starting to realize that a lot of rigging companies just offer their own certifications and their own classes and stuff. And some of it's like BS, some of it's not. So um, like, but I've been rigging with like the guy that wrote the book and stuff, you know, and uh all these people that are like teaching me like the ways of the industry for, so I guess I was on the fast track as well. Also with these festivals, I mean, we go in and we build everything from the ground up. So, well, let's, let's kind of like, uh, connect it to climbing. I guess the whole vibe is like trying to find a, a job where you can make money, but you can take time off where you can travel. Um, so where does it fit in for you with like, you know, basically what's kind of a nascent climbing, you know, lifestyle for you you've, you've only been at it for a few years um but how does it fit into the climbing well um it kind of puts me in these new areas um and whenever i'm in a new place i try to look up what the climbing might be like like unfortunately when i was in miami everything's flat but they have a really awesome climbing gym i don't have a lot of climbing partners though so a lot of times i'll just go out on my own and just kind of like do recon missions and find these walls and maybe take somebody there later or something i've tried to take my wife to a couple places like when i was in austin last year or the year before last rather uh, i found enchanted rocks and i found monster rock i soloed this like five seven at monster rock i thought that was pretty cool yeah, like it sucked because I was on my own and none of my coworkers, like even the riggers, they weren't rock climbers. They were like, I climb at work. Why do I want to climb after work? I'm like, we've got four days off. <laughs> so I would just go find these places, but I would run into people. Like um, recently, me and my wife were in Kansas City for the NFL draft. And, you know, Kansas, you think of flat, but 
I mean, Kansas City, Missouri, I don't know. I looked it up on Mountain Project, and there's a limestone wall right in town, like 40, 50 feet tall. Um, And there were people climbing there. So I made friends even. So I showed up, and my wife still kind of knew it, belaying. So I, uh, she only belays me on, like, easier stuff. So this other guy belayed me on, like, a 5.8 or 5.9. I forget what it was. But I actually had a lot of fun just climbing that. And uh, got to know those guys, and I'll probably go see them on the way back through, you know. In Vegas, I got to um, try physical graffiti, and uh, Amy's never done multi-pitch climbing. So I just brought her up, and we repelled off the first pitch, but it kind of gave her a sense. And then she flew home to be with her dad. But then um, I took out one of my other rigging friends, and we tried to send it again. I just ran out of cams. We went back to buy more cams, but we decided to uh, go to Mount Charleston instead, and I wanted to climb some of the cliffs there, so we were playing around a little 510 there. I actually took a nice little whip. I haven't taken a good whip in a while, so that was fun. But yeah, the the different climbings and just all the different areas of the country, and I'm just getting started, you know? And I'm just thinking this would be absolutely even more perfect If I hadn't, like, I mean, I just got married, so I'm trying to, like, pay some bills, and I'm working as much as possible, but if I wanted to take a little more time off, I totally could, you know, and I could say, hey, let's meet up at this spot. I've got a week off, and it wouldn't hurt me financially, really. Right, right. So. Yeah, it it sounds pretty cool. I mean, it it, it harkens to a couple other people I've talked to, like um, Drew Smith, you know, he talked about how he had worked on these these rope, like, Choss mitigation crews on these highways like out in California and stuff like that but having the same issue of like everybody else on the crew was just like these hardcore blue collar dudes that wanted to spend their day off resting or drinking or whatever it was they were into and like and you know but it worked out for him to he ended up meeting some people from Patagonia when he was in Ventura working on the PCH and and like so yeah, it's funny because you put your foot into this world, and yeah, you're like, why doesn't anyone want to do anything? Like, <laughs> what are you gonna do for four days? Like gamble, probably right? Like yeah, a lot of them shit. did. Yeah, yeah, or just hang like out. You're you just know. chill. Yeah, yeah. It's like no chilling. Like let's go do something. <laughs> I know it's 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 interesting, but and then um you know Alexis Krauss, uh, who's the lead singer of um Sleigh Bells, how she was sort of learning to climb and getting into climbing while she was on tour, and yeah. kind of the same thing of like. Everybody else on the crew, it's like chill, you know, or day off, like rest. And she was like, you know, agger to go find someone to climb with and had the same issue of like, okay, well, where do I go? Who do I talk to? And Mountain Project and all these sorts of things. And the internet's probably super, super helpful compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but even like, I mean, showing up at the cliff is, is an age old way to do it. Yeah, like you learning know? how to be friendly and like right. realizing that climbing is a community that wants to connect with people. Right. And so if you go up and talk to people, most of the time they're going to want to talk to you back. You mm-hmm. know, they're going to like, hey, having trouble finding the wall. Can I walk down with you guys? No problem. You know, you can climb with us, you know, whatever. Right. You know, so it's just a really great way to connect with people. And, you know, I do do a little solo climbing, but I'd rather not, you know, because when I would ride my bike all the time, it was that it was to the point where I was always riding by myself Mm -hmm. and I didn't push my limits. I want to be able to push my limits and you can only do that with other climbers, you know, or you can mostly do that with other climbers. You can dial things in on your own, but it's a lot harder. Only reason I got into that part of climbing and mostly like 
I think I was attracted to climbing anyway was mm-hmm. the gear. Right. Like I just instantly became a gear nerd. Right. I think when I was watching, like there's that section in the Dawn wall that like shows you how the pitches and all work and right. stuff. So I was like, that's cool. And I was probably asking the classic, how did they get the rope up there and stuff? And I was just like figuring these things mm-hmm. in my head. Like, so I think doing that and if you can, make those steps on your own and learn the systems on your own that's a good sign of being a good rigger because a lot of times you have to go up and make the decision on your own as a rigger and i started to realize that too that a lot of times there's like set ways to do things and then there's what the client wants and then you're like oh crap like i'm here we call it we're here to rigger it out we we came out here to make it up like we're making up the system that's going to make this work Mm -hmm. and there's nobody else there's nobody above us to make that decision we're the ones making that decision so that's where i think learning that gear and being a gear nerd really helps with rigging right yeah i mean it's tools and you know people like it's people follow my social media whatever no it's like I, I basically rebuilt an engine last month and everybody's like well how do you do that and it's mostly like it's it's understanding obviously the mechanics of the engine and stuff but it's also knowing how your tools work yeah and what they can do and what they're capable of and you because like when you you run into a problem where you can't i mean the simple is like i can't reach that bolt to get a wrench on it but you know it's in your toolbox you know which extensions you have which which angled sockets you have and stuff like that and it's like knowing how your tools work is really like the key to all of it and i think that's i'm sure for rigging but it's also for climbing it's like yeah you know these these like hilarious sort of arguments i i have online about the gregory or about the quad anchor and all these sorts of things that's like the basis of it like don't just know what this thing does but know what all these parts are capable of oh yeah where they go and what they can do what they can hold what they're good for what they're not good for and yeah you know and rigging is i think you know that's the same thing like you have all these tools you have this task to do which tools apply which ones are going to be safe which are going to be the most efficient how do we get it done with these tools yeah you know and if you can get things done like that, you can get jobs because you get noticed. Right. And then you can just kind of just start hitting people up. You get mm-hmm. phone numbers. And if you're in a town somewhere, just you start asking people around, say, yeah. hey, I'm in Minnesota or I'm in Texas and I, you know, I want to work and then I'll be ready to climb on this day or whatever. You can right. kind of set your own schedule. And I don't have a SPRAT certification yet, but a lot of people are like, you can get paid a lot more if you do SPRAT. But that would kind of take me more out of like the festival scene. I like to travel and do these festivals right, right now. But um, well, what's the Sprat? So Sprat is uh, it's like the rope access yeah. training. So um, a lot of that has to do with like permanent installations or like if you're going to rappel in to do any work or like using the rope on your body instead of like using it to pull something. Sure. So um, a lot of that, I think, is the equivalent of, like, aid climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? Like, if you can set up, like, a, you know, your lifeline and the line you're going to be working on and stuff like that, that's the same as, like, setting up a belay and your slack and all that. So, um, and I don't even know a lot about, like, aid climbing. I've done a few, like, rope solo, like, single pitch routes, Mm -hmm. you know, um, on lead, you know. But I can, you know, see the similarities between how that would be a lot like Sprat certification. So do the Sprat people look down your their nose at, as, at the stage people? Um, 
they're just usually the ones they're like the cleanup crew you right. know like if everything goes wrong if we get like the skin stuck in the keter track and stuff like they're the ones that have to climb out on top right. and they're like tied to the boom lift like yeah. 20 or 30 feet away and like if they fall they're gonna take a pretty big fall Oh, a little thunderstorm coming in. Nice. Yeah, so that's so I'm sure they're rolling their eyes then too, like, oh God. Yeah, especially when all the newbies yeah. make mistakes. Because <laughs> like um Ultra Festival, it, like we build this giant mega arch. And one of the things they like to do is um drop off all the new kids in these like key positions up top where you can't really move unless you have like the appropriate gear because like there's nothing to clip into. So you have to bring like a steel cable to clip into the purlins and stuff. And like you're basically stuck in this uncomfortable corner for like hours while they're waiting to bring up these giant skins to like run through the tracks and cover this arch. And they just love just dropping off the new people and seeing how they handle it. And then they all have to move to the next bay over. So they just watch them do it. And I guess the first year, I that's exactly what they did to me. And I did pretty well because I was like, you know, okay with walking on like sketchy little edges and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Because, you know, learning to climb at Seneca Rocks and stuff like brought me to that higher level a lot quicker. Right. So... Well, let me ask you a little bit of a lifestyle question. The lifestyle aside from like the travel and the climbing, you know, it, it kind of like it's I almost like have this like picture of like carnies in my head, you know, and and one of the things you're talking about is like, okay, there's all these people there. What do they do on their days off? You know, how do you not get sort of sucked into what is probably I mean, it's the same as working in a restaurant. Like restaurants are yeah. like gnarly and like these sort of drug fueled like kitchens and shit like that. So how do you sort of not really keep your nose clean in the sense of like, you know, being a good guy, but like having the psych to be rested and to use your days off the climb and not get like caught up in, you know, you're off. There's a total like EDM scene happening right in front of your face. Like maybe I'll do that instead of like being ready to go climbing. Like what are your sort of strategies or, you know, Finding a balance of, like, being in both those lifestyles. Yeah, we call them pirates. They call themselves pirates. (laughs) Um, It's, like, definitely a pirate lifestyle. And, you know, like, I guess that's where they got, like, the knots and stuff. They claim rigging came from, like, boats and stuff. Sure. um, And, yeah, there's a lot of of people into drugs and stuff because this type of job just allows almost anyone because it's just a labor job. Mm -hmm. So... For me, actually, I had to um, reduce my judgment of people because I always tried to stay away from, like, hardcore drug scenes. Like, my parents were kind of, like, into drugs and stuff, so it kind of, like, messed me up as, like, or maybe didn't mess me up. Maybe it just put me on the right track of, like, don't do hard drugs ever, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, like, when I see people doing, like, cocaine and stuff, like, I don't really see it, but I know that they're doing it. I try to, like, reduce my judgment and be Mm -hmm. like, okay, these are, you know, just regular people or whatever. I will hang out at work, but we're probably not going to hang out in the hotel together, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm just not that kind of person. Like, I'm a huge pothead, but I don't even, like, smoke. Like, because I don't want to smoke after people either because they're sharing their stuff with 200 other people. I'm like, they're all my friends, but no thanks, you know. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to stick to my own scene. And then there's some of the, like... Yeah, pretty much everybody's a pothead, but like there's some people that are like super clean and mm-hmm. like just normal people, you know, and they're also in in there 
I, you got to pick and choose your friends. Right. It's been really helpful having my wife on the road, but like, not like I would get into anything anyway. It's just been helpful for fun and for like, let's go hiking instead, like on our day off or let's go to a nice restaurant or something. Like we don't really party hard, you know? Um, so yeah, if you're a young kid, you can get, definitely get influenced. And I definitely see that a lot. And you just have to be careful because some people like to do ketamine all day at work and they're, <laughs> you know, maybe running forklifts and stuff. And like, if you've ever done that, you would know it's absolutely ridiculous. But people that do it all day long, I guess it's not as ridiculous. You right. Just keep your eye out for those people. <laughs> and, you know, so it is a different lifestyle for sure. But I think it just attracts all different kinds of right. people. And you can pick and choose who you're going to hang out with. But that being said, there's some of these festivals that are camping festivals. Like Okeechobee Camping Festival is amazing. And, I mean, you're there. There's good acid around. You know, whatever, you know. But, like, you just got to, like, be your own person and sure. kind of make your own choices. You well, know? I just, the reason I bring it up is because, like, you know, there's all these considerations that go into, you know, what kind of work you want to do or you know, these lifestyle choices that go with climbing and, yeah. and some of them are tricky. And, and again, like when I was talking to Alexis, you know, being on the road with a rock band is, is, you know, not conducive to getting up the next day and going climbing. And so you have to really like work at it to make the two things kind of fit together. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes they can seem like this golden opportunity is going to work out great. And then a year goes by and you're like, I haven't climbed at all because I'm too wrecked all the time or whatever, you know, like yeah. working those construction jobs. Cause construction's always been a big, you know, that's a climber staple, right? Yeah. Like, Cause you can go make a bunch of yeah, money. And, but... but it also wrecks you, you know, and it also like ruins your body and it also is like hard to work, you know, five days or six days a week and then climb on that day off when you're completely tired. So there's just considerations that go into all of it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. even though I like, like I said, I live a pretty clean lifestyle. Yeah. I made a joke on Instagram the other day. I took a picture of the tower and I'm like, it's an easy route, but it gets really hard after 20 <laughs> times a day. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm just climbing literally a ladder. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I, I painted a house last summer and, and, uh, you know, for a friend of mine. And then like, I look, I had painted, I'd painted for like three days and, I was like, okay, I got Thursday, uh, you know, I'm going to go and try my project because I'll have rested for three days in oh, my yeah. head because I wasn't climbing. Because you were like, I'm not going to go to the gym. <laughs> I'm just going to, yeah. But I, I went out and I, it was like the worst day I'd had on the route in, in months. Yeah. And I was like, God, what the fuck is wrong? Oh, wait a minute. I climbed up and down ladders all day yeah. for three days. And it's like, it doesn't seem like it's a climber thing that it wouldn't make me tired, but it made me tired. Yeah. And I was like, my whole lower body was useless. So it's just kind of funny that- you know, again, like how you sort of fit it all in and what you want out of it. I mean, if it's performance, then you have this whole other consideration. Um, but if you're just more into like the adventure side of things and seeing new places, this sounds like a perfect, perfect setup. Well, also, I mean, like I don't get to go to the gym at all while right. I'm on the road, but I get to work every day and I'm like strong mm -hmm. and I'm, my endurance is like increasing a lot. So, I mean, one of my favorite workouts at the climbing gym is to find an easy route on auto belay and just stay on the wall as long as possible. Climb up it, climb down it, climb back up it, and just 15, 20 minutes on, like, a 5.6 at the gym or a 5.7 at the gym. And, like, 
that really gets you strong. And that's what I feel like I'm doing at work <laughs> is that I'm just on an easy route all day long. Cause sometimes the boom lifts would be occupied. So if you, or like you can't get to where you need to get to in a boom. So you got to climb the tower and they have these things called a yo-yo. It's like the auto belay, but you don't uh, fall on them cause they'll just jerk you to a stop. I, lo- I wish they just had the auto belay where you could just be lowered slowly. <laughs> yeah, you should introduce that maybe to the to the. I don't think they're OSHA approved. Oh, right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, they must be pretty close if they're using them in commercial gyms, you know. Yeah, th- there but you go. It's like the exact same thing except it stops you, and so you can zoom up the tower real fast on that, um, and just climb up and just get to wherever you need to be. But all that is really strength training and mm-hmm. weight training, too, because mm-hmm. I have all these, you know, wrenches and hammers. I carry my three-pound <laughs> sledge on my... That's so awesome. My, it's like a weight vest. Yeah. So when I put all my trad gear on and I'm, like, getting racked up for a, a climb, like, it's not as heavy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Yeah, it's because it sounds pretty wild. I mean, is this, like, a sort of long-term thing? Are you going to keep moving up through what you're capable of doing? Like, yeah, I think so. I mean, the company I work for really looks out for me, so I have a lot of loyalty for them. Mm-hmm. But there's all these other smaller companies that are trying to hire out from. So I have, like, literally endless opportunities, and they just get more and more. What I'd like to do is get into film production and stuff. Like, when I was in in the kitchen, I was just not making money, and I was always working weekends, and I was always working holidays, and I was struggling. I could never have fun. I watched my friends go climbing all the time and I never got to join them. So now it's like a little bit more on my terms. And of course I'm trying to like pay a lot of debts from the, you know, ever since I got out of college, it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. I've lived like a dirtbag lifestyle my whole life without even knowing I was doing it. I'm just trying to, trying to find something. It wasn't as romanticized as, as it all gets in climbing. Yeah. When you're actually doing it. You're yeah. Like, this kind of blows, actually. <laughs> yeah. So now I like have a way I can actually feel successful. I'm gaining skills. I'm gaining certifications. You know, I've got my OSHA 10 and stuff. So like I can show up to places and say I can work. What's uh, What are your climbing goals? Um, Really short-term goals I have, like, this month I want to climb super crack at the New River Gorge. It's just 5'9", but it's 5'9 plus. It's 100 feet long, and it's uh, it's at Beauty Mountain. It's an amazing crack. There's another one that's it says 10 or 11 because, like, nobody climbs down there at South Nuttall. It's like a um, two-hour hike in or something, or two miles, I mean, two-mile hike in. And you have to wrap in 100 feet, and there's this perfect 510 crack in the corner called Hyperactive. So I think if I could get those two done, Hyperactive was awesome. I did about half of it, and I got scared because this giant loose plate on one side of it. And my friend Adriel sent it without using the plate, but uh, he wanted to go work on his project after that. So he worked on the beckoning, which is, he finally got that too. But, um, Right after that loose plate goes into like this off width section and it's not too bad. It's only maybe like 10 feet long and then you're back into a nice crack and then there's this roof pull that goes around the corner. So I know I'm going to struggle on that roof pull, but if I can get those two routes, my five-year goal was half dome and that's coming up soon. So if I can climb 5, 10 or 11, 
at the New River Gorge, I think I think I can at least give a good solid attempt at half them. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Eric for coming through, getting in touch, throwing down a really fun interview. You can find Eric at Eric Alleycat on Instagram. That's Eric with a K. But you know what? At this point, Eric's not really selling or promoting anything, which is kind of refreshing. (laughs) He's like Lloyd Dobler. I don't want to sell, buy, or process anything for a career. I don't want to buy, process things, sell, bought things. I don't know how it goes. Say anything. That's an old, old-timey old cut now. Yeah, check out Eric. Find him at your local crag. He might be looking for a partner. If he does get his print rag dreams together, I'll let you know here on the Enormacast. All right, folks. Next time you hear me, I'll be coming at you from either Portugal or Spain. Have a trip coming up with the family over there. And uh, looking forward to it. Not ideal climbing season, I know. But uh, we're not really there to climb. We'll probably get our fingers on some rock. But mostly there to do family touristy, beachy stuff, that kind of thing. Eat nice food. You know, what normal people do when they go on a trip. (laughs) And also, I'm going to miss Lander. So, if you go to the International Climbing Festival, belly up to the bar and have one for me, won't you? And don't forget to check your knots. His name is Crew. Hey, good looking. BMX is his world. Rad is his way of life. The world would be a lot better off without kids. We're here for the biggest and most important bicycle motocross event ever held. Hell track. This is a very important race. The very finest riders in the country are here riding for some $100,000. Hell track in this big town. They've got to be kidding. This is a joke. I really think I can get this one. I think I've got a chance. I don't want to hear any more about it. Everyone's on his case. Get that. The paper boy thinks he's a pro. He's nothing next to Bart Taylor. He's got the style. There's something about the way you ride so naturally. And he's going to prove it. I've never seen this raw determination and talent in one kid. Against the factory hotshots. Looks like the local yokel's gonna race after all. It's gonna take a miracle to beat this guy. Against the big money fixers. All you have to do is take out that kid. Against impossible odds. You scared now? This guy doesn't even stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. He's going for it all. Rad.